HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's March 19th, 2013. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. And I'm joined tonight with my special co-host, Jen Swartman from Blind hey, Tiger. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Jen. So you, you, you went out to Denver. I sure did. And there was this cool thing, a beer drinker of the <laughs> Last year. Last time I was here was the day before I think we were able to talk to the media. And so I was dying to tell you guys that I had been selected as one of the three finalists for beer drinker of the year this year. But I couldn't talk about it yet. So I just alluded. And uh, yeah, I went out there and... Good friend Warren Montero, who is uh, one of my regular customers at the Blind Tiger, actually won. And he had uh, participated before. He had lost twice in the finals, so he made a comeback. We were calling him the Susan Lucci, but the victorious Susan Lucci. Awesome. And I came in a close second, which I was really proud of. It was a lot of fun. You are so awesome. And did they invite <laughs> you back for next year? Um, they tried to convince me to enter again, but I was like, you know what? That's okay. I've got other things. I'm out there having experiences all the time. So it was just chalk it up to the list. That's right. You get only one chance with Jen Swartman. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I gave him what I got. And our special guest tonight, we got Yeppe from Evil Twin Brewing. He's back. We love this guy. He's got some great beers. And before we do that, they have a special announcement. There's breaking news in the world of beer. Uh, Mississippi has uh, the governor, Phil Bryant, signed into law yesterday. Uh, he amended the code so that home brewing is legal. In Mississippi, and we have Craig from uh, RaiseYourPint.com uh, on the air. Craig, are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Craig, uh, I, the first thing I did today was check my Twitter, and I saw that uh, you, you guys had some breaking news. So why don't you tell us what happened and, and just a little bit about the, the campaign that you guys have been waging in Mississippi. Well, uh, it, basically late last night, and we heard we got confirmation this morning that the governor did sign a bill and we've been working about five years just trying to get home brewing legalized in the state it's been one of our goals we focus on craft beer issues down here in mississippi and uh this year was finally our year and we got it done congratulations awesome thank That's you exciting so the first campaign you you, you were you had an issue with uh, the abv 
And yeah, we uh, we had our we had a real low cap at uh, five ABW six point two five by volume, and of course, as you can imagine, that was real restrictive as far as what breweries could brew and also good beer that uh, craft beer fans could get into the state. So that was the first thing we tackled, and and we got that raised to uh, ten ABV last year. All right. Well, congratulations. Uh, do you mind if I read from the? I I saw the the bill that you guys had posted. It said. Uh, uh, Senate Bill 2183 from Mississippi Legislature to amend Mississippi Code of 1972. That's a long time ago, isn't it? <laughs> to yep. provide that every person shall have the right to make homebrew for personal, family, domestic, or household purposes. So that's pretty awesome. Um, can you just give us, is, is there a website and a Twitter ha- ha- you know, Twitter that, that people can check you out on? Yeah, we're uh, RaiseYourPints.com and also the Twitter handle is also RaiseYourPints. All right. Jen, any, any so, questions? It's pretty crazy, right? You couldn't make homebrew in Mississippi. Yeah, now I knew that there were a couple states left where the law was still in place, and uh, so there's one one left, right? Yep, yep. it was uh, down to us in Alabama, and, and they're actually working on legislation right now, too, so they're hopefully they'll closer. get theirs done very soon, but Fantastic. yeah, we were the 49th state. Cool. So what what do you do down there? What is your establishment? Is it a is it a bar? Is it a no? Uh, we are a grassroots nonprofit oh, group. Oh, if I see. you're familiar with like uh, years ago in uh, the Carolinas, Pop the Cap, and in Alabama, Free the Hops, we're basically okay. an equivalent. You're organization. the organization that took All this volunteers, up. Volunteers, nonprofit, and we just we just lobby to uh, improve the beer laws down here. Greg, are you a home brewer yourself? Absolutely, been doing it about twelve years. Ooh, and, and you and you <laughs> like good beer then too, right? Oh, I love good beer. Yeah. Well, Yepi, you, you you make beer in uh, South Carolina, right? South Carolina, Charleston. And what's the brewery that you work with sometimes? Westbrook. It's actually in Mount Pleasant, um, just outside of Charleston. I'm doing a lot of stuff down there, and it's a very good brewery. So yeah. works out well. All right. Yeah. Craig, any good breweries uh, from uh, Mississippi or down south that we should know about? Yeah, well, uh, before we got the ABW, uh, the ABW bill changed, we really ha- only had one production brewery down here. That was Lazy Magnolia. Yeah. Now we're on the verge of having five breweries, so it's uh, the boom is about to happen. All right, man. Well, congratulations. You're welcome to stay on there if you'd like. We're going to continue with our show. And a rock on. Raise your pints, dude. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Good job. Yeah, it, it was really the coolest thing. I mean, I, I, I don't always like wake up and check my Twitter, but today I just I did. And it was the breaking news. It was like, wow, they, they, they legalized homebrewing. And it, it seems so crazy that it even has to be legalized. Because I really thought back in 1979, Jimmy Carter made it legal for everybody. But I didn't know that it oh, was, that was state by state. on a federal state. level, yeah. But is, is it still maximum 10%? Hey, Craig, Craig, are you still on? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah, so I was saying, so I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought in 1979, when Jimmy Carter legalized homebrewing, I thought that applied to everybody. Why are there some states that were still lagging behind? Well, they, federally, they said it's legal, but to really make it legal in the states, the states had, become, had to come along behind it and, and recognize what the federal government did and say, okay, we recognize it, we're going to make it legal in the state, too, because it's kind of a thing of, you know, especially alcohol, if it doesn't say it's legal, it's probably illegal. And so that was kind of the case. Just nobody had ever... You know, said to Mississippi, you need to you need to change this. You need to make it say homebrewing is legal, and we're the first ones to come along. And, and, yeah. and was it just that nobody that, had asked? I mean, what was the holdup? Well, it's, uh, like like I said, nobody had ever went to the legislature and and said, hey, you know, we really should do this. And of course, we learned over these couple of years, one individual going up there and asking to 
to get a to get a law change it's not going it's not going to work that way it takes right. a, it takes a grassroots organization and a lot of people calling their senators and their representatives we have another special guest Roger is a a, a beekeeper and he's a, a, a home brewer who makes mead uh, Roger Ripple uh, Roger do you have a question for Craig down in Mississippi yeah I wonder if anyone was ever arrested for making home brew prior uh, to this not in Mississippi and and we've we've looked and we can't find any any case of it happening nationwide I mean we've we've heard of people being visited by the authorities and and but you know no actual no, arrest and prosecution no fine or nothing no and we talked years ago we talked to the Department of Revenue here in the state because there there is some concern and a lot of people really do have a guilty conscience about it and, and want to try this hobby but they were scared to and so we reached out to them and you know they pretty much told us you know as long as you're not selling it or giving it to kids we're you know we've got bigger issues to worry about so exactly so this this is just a formality then yeah 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 it literally was and last year we we it, it's always been a gray area. It never did say it was legal, and didn't explicitly say it's illegal. There were other laws that were tied into the whole moonshine thing that could have been construed as you know affecting beer production too. But um, last year we talked to the attorney general down here in state, and we said, "Hey, can you give us a AG's opinion on you know whether or not?" And he come back and said, "Well, it it it's legal if you get the the state brewer's license, which is the license you would need if you're going to start a brewery in the state." But that's a thousand bucks, and to get that, you first need a federal license, and of course, you don't need a federal license to homebrew. So it was kind of just a big mess. You really, it, it, a mess is kind of what it was. So we just really cleaned it up and said, okay, it's legal. So, uh, Craig, also, Yeppe was going to ask you about uh, the ceiling of 10%. So it, it, is that the ceiling for the, the level of, of, of ABV for beer in Mississippi is 10%? Yeah, it, it would follow along with that. So, so if you if you brew a twelve percent beer, it's going to be illegal. You mean if we brew a ten? Yeah, like a beer. ten plus, like a twelve percent beer. <laughs> yeah, it uh, you know it, it's all the honor system. So, that's, that's but so if you feel like the ten percent gives you a pretty good ceiling there for other yeah. craft breweries. Well, also I assume that the ten percent affects the beer that's brought in to be sold in bars yeah. and things too. So at least you have ten percent because a lot of uh, states. Yeah. I mean. It's been the last handful of years that even states like Vermont um, broke their broke their cap and were wow. able to like um, yeah I can't remember what the limit was but it was definitely nor like seven percent or something like that that was real normal range so that that's a that's an important thing too when it comes to uh, bringing beer into the state. Well, we, I think in New York we take it for granted that you can just get all these great beers from all over the world. And Roger, what was your question? Uh, what about uh, home winemaking? Is that still illegal, or is it was it ever illegal? Well, actually, in Mississippi, making wine at home has been legal for many, many years, <laughs> and uh, just they never they never decided to do it for beer, but they did it for wine, and so that one's been there for that's been illegal for a while. Well, that's interesting. Well, another theme of our show, Craig, is we're gonna t- we're gonna talk to some mead makers today. And Roger's actually a beekeeper who makes mead at home, so he's like a home brewer. And many people have said that. And when they were in college, or the first beer they ever tried to homebrew was a mead. So um, I don't know. Did you ever make a mead, Craig? Uh, I have not not tried mead, but it's on my it's on my list to try one day. <laughs> yeah, but did you ever make a mead? Actually, I didn't. Uh, now I'm I'm staying with beer. I know a lot of brewers are experimenting with other stuff like mead and sake and stuff like that. But 
I like my beers, so I'm going to stay right there. What about honey beer? Honey beer, I've actually have, yeah, I've had a few on the market, actually. It's two songs made with honey. Uh, I actually have a beer right out right now that's called Honey, I'm Home, <laughs> which is, which is a, a song with a lot of honey in it. Wow. Yeah. So Are you married, Yeppie? I'm married. I am. So, Honey, I'm Home. Honey, I'm Home. I like that. <laughs> so, uh, we, we're, we, we're drinking some of your beers, Evil Twin Brewing. This so is a collaboration, right? This is collaboration this with... With Westbrook, actually, and Fane in Denmark. It's made in Denmark. It's a Berliner Weisse uh, made with blue Danish blueberries and eggs and red wine cask. And it has a really, really, really funny name. It's actually called Justin Blobber. <laughs> <laughs> Blobber means it's blueberries in Danish. So. Oh, nice. So, Craig, in Mississippi, do they get the Justin Bieber yeah. reference? <laughs> I, I, I didn't catch it, so oh, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not but too big. You're on the phone line. It's a little different. Yeah. All right. Well, just, and what great. else did you bring today, Yuppie? Uh, I brought another one of my own beers. Uh, one that I then can hear is illegal down in Mississippi because <laughs> it's 12% alcohol. It's uh, called Even More Jesus, which is a big and pale stout. And this one is aged in port wine barrels from Portugal. Um, and I also brought a favorite of mine, uh, not one of my own beers, but from a brewery called Jolly Pumpkin. It's called oh, yeah. Lucianaga, which is it's like a blonde Belgian-style ale with some... Some bread in it. I love it. You know, we. I love Jolly Pumpkin. Me too. I mean, it's. Yeah. Have you met those guys? Have you met? I met Ron. Ron? Uh, I actually, I actually distribute Jolly Pumpkin in Europe, so I have a close relationship with those guys, and it's it's good stuff. Yeah. How did you How did you ever meet Ron Jeffries? I don't know. I just you know before I started brewing and I started my import company, I just went to Michi- Michigan and met the guy and told him I wanted to import his beers, and he said yes, and it it works out real well. Cool. Jen, have you ever done a like a, a, bl- a Jolly Pumpkin special at the Blind Tiger or Jolly Pumpkin Night? Oh yeah, we definitely have had a series of, of their beers up, and and then as often as we can get our hands on them, we put them on. Um, so yeah, we see as much Jolly Pumpkin as we have access to. <laughs> no, because I I feel like a, a, a few years ago it was like Jolly Pumpkin was the coolest thing that you could get, and it still is. For and me. <laughs> I feel like the last couple of years well, they, I, I haven't heard as much about it, but I still buy his beers all the time, and I love them. They were one of the very few. They still are one of the very fr- few breweries where they're making sours constantly, and you can actually access them. You yeah. know, because they're the sp- sours are so. Uh, time-consuming and they take up space and you know so they're they're expensive to make and rather difficult to make well and so um you know like a lot of a lot of our favorite breweries are making them when they can but it's small little bits and bits and pieces of sour out there and that brewery really committed themselves to yeah from the concept. beginning that's from the very beginning that's was their whole concept so cool so, about it yeah 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 i like that i get asked a lot you know if you have to name one favorite brewer who would it be? And I always say Jolly Pumpkin. I mean, other people make as beer as good, but if you take the whole range of beers that Jolly Pumpkin do, it's just, for me, it's just the most perfect. They never let you find. down. Never let me down. And there's so many different ones. They all have that house flavor because of the barrel aging and the wild yeast and all that. But it's just, I mean, it's just so unique and so flavorful and so balanced. I just love it. He's a big, he's a big fan. Cheers of, to a that. Big Jeffrey's job. Yeah. And what's the name Cheers. of this beer again? The Jesus beer? Uh, even more cheese. Well, this isn't. No, you're still drinking the sour. Uh, I'm sorry. Pull, I thought you wanted more of that. What's the other one? The Jesus beer. We'll get it's to that called one. even more Jesus. Uh, I, I don't. I bet in Mississippi they wouldn't let you call a beer after Jesus. Probably not. And not. it's twelve percent. And it's twelve percent, so. so we don't even have to. Hey, know, Craig, thanks that. for coming on from Mississippi. Uh, rock on, you guys did a great job at, at Raise Your Pint. 
And um, cool. we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. All right. Cool. You're listening to Andy's Biscuits by Pamela Royal on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're giddy and celebrating that Mississippi uh, approved homebrewing. So we're drinking a lot of beers. we got Yepe from Evil Twin. I'm drinking uh, the Even More Jesus from Yepe. And I don't think they would approve that label in Mississippi. They'd approve of the beer, though. But they beer would like it. fantastic. It's yeah, thank it's you. really, really good. And uh, we're here with Roger, who's a, a beekeeper. And we're going to have uh, Michael from, where is it from? Uh, Moonlight Meadery in New Hampshire calling in soon, too. So now we're going to switch over to Mead. So for many people, you know, celebrating uh, that Mississippi is legalized homebrewing, many people start start homebrewing with Mead. I, I know that well, from, historically, like... historically, it's one of the oldest fermented things out there, you know. Maybe the original oh, yeah. fermented thing. And many guys in college... Like the, middle Ages They were able stuff. to buy, like, an old Grolsch bottle that was self-sealing, and they could make their Meads and put them in the Grolsch. And, you and know, I, I remember that from college. The first homebrew I ever had was a Mead. How was it? I don't know, <laughs> but it wasn't as good as yours. So, Roger, I, you, you brought you brought your own homebrewed mead, which we tasted before right. the show, and it kind of had what the accents of, of a sake well, was, nose. It, and yeah, I said, "Wow, it actually reminds me of sake," um, and it was definitely dry. It was what you said, a year old. Yes, just a year old. Okay, Usually, so they been, age them for from two to four years. Okay, so it wasn't even on the higher, like the long end of that, and yet it fermented out, and I didn't get. I mean, my problem with mead, which is a lot of people's problem with mead, is it ends up too sweet. Mm. There's so much residual sugar. When honey is the base, how can you avoid it? And uh, right. this one was really dry fermented. That, out, that so was, we should so try was that good one for again. college homebrew. Like, I don't think Yeppy kind got of to a, a honey mead, something that college students would like. And I remember that a long time ago. But um, but what I liked about see, Rogers, I don't think I don't think that mead is as universal as you think it is, Jimmy. With homebrewers, it's just that happened to be one of the first things you tried. So you got it in your head. Like, everybody starts with honey. But I, I think 
a lot a lot of people start with cider because apples you can get apple juice and it's simple because you don't have to make a recipe but the meat thing i think it's a lot rarer than you than you're giving it credit for maybe you know? i went to and yet cool, it's coming around cool college in denmark yeah. it's pretty common actually <laughs> we have a, we have a pretty good tradition for meat in denmark and uh we have a, some very good meat makers. Actually, the biggest one, uh, which is called Danish meat or Dansk meat, actually export a lot of meats to uh, to the U.S. So you can get it over here in like one liter clay bottles kind of thing. So, yeah, it's it's popular in Denmark for sure. Another big market for meat, and you wouldn't think of it, is uh, Poland. One of the best oh. meat makers in the world is actually Polish, called Jadwiga. And there are like most famous meat is, I think that one is aged for about eight years before they release it. And it's good. But it's like a stronger meat. It's like 22% or something. Huh. Yeah. I was in Poland this past summer and uh, had the opportunity oh. to chase to taste some of their meats. And, and uh, was it different are, from the meat that good. we've seen they're sweet. They're like, uh, sweet. the ones I tasted were, were like a uh, uh, kind of a uh, port. Yeah, more like a Something a, like that. More like a dessert wine. Hey, Michael. So, Michael's hey, on so hey, Moonlight Meadery in New Hampshire. Michael, just, I, I, I met you last month. You were in New York, and you went to the um, the Homebrew Alley, and right. uh, some people introduced you. So, uh, thanks for coming on, man. So, we're tasting some yeah. of your meads right now. I just uh, opened the Desire, which I think might be your flagship. Yes, it is. It's a blackcurrant, blueberry, black cherry. So, it's got some sweetness to it, but it's balanced by the fruits that are uh, added with it. Michael, how did you so, get started? How did you get started making meat? So I started homebrewing back in uh, May of 1995, and by July I was at a party and somebody offered me a sizer. I had no idea what they were offering me, so I said I'd take a sip. Now, have you ever seen a baby make that face when it tries something for the first time that it loves? Well, that was my face when I was 29. <laughs> Eyes lit up. I said, what is this stuff? And he said, it's an apple mead. I'm like, okay, it doesn't help me. What is mead? And he said, it's a wine made from honey. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I used to be a beekeeper. So oh, really? I went home and started making it, and by 2006, I was president of the largest homebrew club in New Hampshire, Brew for Die, and uh, I realized that when I pulled out a bottle of beer, I made my buddies on their own, but when I pulled out a bottle of mead that I was making, every woman in the room was knocking somebody over to get to me. <laughs> <laughs> so we started uh, the company actually in 2007, but didn't start commercial production until 2010, at the 2009 Craft Brewers Conference, I was in, my friends from Sam Adams got me into the conference, and I was talking to Omar from Surly Brewing Company, telling him I was going to start this company right down in my garage, and he changed my life with one sentence. He looked at me and he said, how can you possibly think you can do something you love part-time? And that was the final tipping point. We started working on the business plan, and as of the last year, we sold 5,000 cases in one year. We've already sold half that this year by February. Wow. And now in 23 states, we make over 66 varieties of mead. We've got <laughs> six of them that are available nationwide. 66? 66? Yeah, I like flavor. Yeah, you like to play around <laughs> a little. So you have six that are that you're in production on year-round? Yeah, six of them that are um, – we're – Promising to keep up volume on. So okay. those are the, you know, the uh, we have a brand agent, St. Killian. Um, they, they're basically our middleman between us and a lot of the local distributors. Um, for example, in New York City, I think Beer Union is our distributor. But, you know, it gives me an ability to focus on making it and not have to worry and focus too much on it. Let me give some background. I, I've met Michael and we, we sat one night, and I think for two hours he told me how he did all this. 
and it's still amazing. I mean, you're just like a go-to guy. I mean, you're up there just pumping out mead. Yeah, we're gonna, we just got our first 1,000-gallon uh, fermenters. We've got capacity right now to make over 400,000 bottles a year. Wow! Wow! That's cool. But I mean, who's who's buying the meat? I mean, I I don't buy that much meat. I'm, I I sometimes I Honestly, like Roger brought us a nice old school homebrew meat. It's it's it sat for a year, right, Roger? Tell us how you right. made it because this is the old roots here. Yeah, the old root. Well, what I was looking for was something that was natural and that it was dry. Uh, most these are meats, dry, also yeah. from uh, moonlight. I'm yeah. impressed. Yeah. Well, most meats were uh, kind of. Uh, cloyingly sweet. So, and I uh, knew this old uh, beekeeper in Yonkers, uh, Norman Bantz, who produced a very dry, uh, not very dry, but kind of like a Chablis type of mead. And it was very flavorful. And he brewed it down in his basement in 30 gallon uh, oil drums. And, uh, you know, the recipe was fairly straightforward. So, uh, I decided to to try it, and um, I. Uh, but you know, every recipe that I, uh, you know, I looked on the internet. I bought books, and every recipe was different. So I didn't know you had to add this different chemicals and so forth. So forget about it. So finally, I turned to YouTube, <laughs> and I discovered a, I discovered a uh, two part video, six minutes each, about how to make mead by this guy with the uh, moniker uh, Michigan Shooter. And uh, he started out with the music playing uh, box Brandenburg concertos in the back. So I figured, yeah, this guy could be all right. And so, uh, you know, he was, it was mostly uh, just uh, demonstrating how to do it. And all he used was honey, water, and as a yeast nutrient which you need for to make a mead, he put in a cup of bee pollen. Mm. So I try. I did that, and uh, you know, I I got the, pretty much the results uh, that I wanted. So you know, talking natural about, product. Talking about bee pollen, I've heard about some brewers who've used like uh, Sam Colagione used uh, some kind of insect's belly. As, as a yeast, have you heard about that, Yepi? Uh, it sounds like Sam. <laughs> it does. I mean, yeah. You, Everything has that has yeast on it can pretty much be used. You know, you can use the wild yeast that you do in Belgium, or like you a, can yeast, a yeast infection. Or yeast something. on grape well, skins. There's or yeast in the air. There's yeast on everything. Everywhere. But it's you want yeah. certain strains. So if you find strains that actually work, am I right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean yeah. Uh, there's some yeast you don't want in your beer fermenting that, it, but there's yeast all over to, if you if you know how to propagate it and I, find it. I actually have a beer out now uh, called it's small production just on cakes. It's called Danbic. I didn't want to it's not called Lambic because you can only make Lambic in so Belgium, it's but it's actually Danish, a spontaneous yeah. fermented beer that is made in Denmark. So it's what, made what do you call it? Dan Danbic. Danbic. So yeah. that's like how do you say it in Danish? Danish. Lambic. Danbic. 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 So yeah, it's a it's a spontaneous fermented beer that we made in Denmark, and you know it's going to be different from the ones you made in make in Belgium because the yeast is different in the air in Belgium than it is in Denmark. But it came out really good, actually. So Michael, this is there's a serious conversation going on here. I mean, uh, do you really get that into your production and stuff, or you just have like a formula? No, no, no. It's well, we we yeah, have to everything we types. make has a formula. Um, thanks to the federal government. Um, you know, as I create the formula, I send it off to get a basically a rubber stamp, and we can 
go forward with it. But we are also making a wildly spontaneous fermented mead that we're going to call Curiosity that we're aging in the, um, the Allagash Brewing Company Curio Barrels. Oh, that sounds good. Wow. Mm, yeah. Send some then, to New York. Yeah, right? And the one we just tasted now, it's the apple pie. Yeah, the Kurtz apple pie. It really tastes Delicious. like apple pie. It's almost 17% alcohol. That's why they're a small little It bottle. actually tastes a lot like an apple yeah. pie. <laughs> I like the That's 17%. Good. So yeah. it's apples and honey? Apple yeah, we dilute juice. the honey with apple cider. Okay. And so we get fresh pressed apple cider from right down the street from the, the winery. And then once the fermentation's complete, we add Madagascar bourbon, vanilla beans, and Vietnamese cinnamon. And let it age till it's ready to bottle and sell. That's hands down the best mead I've ever had. It's good. And I've had mead. I, me for a while. I actually had a meat beer collaboration the other day. Um, I visited Cigar City in Tampa, Florida, and uh, they teamed up with I think it was Bee Nectar Meadery yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah, and they did a like a. It was kind of like a meat meats beer kind of thing, and it was absolutely amazing. One of the best beers I've had the last year, I think. It was so good. Yeah, it's uh, a style called the Braggot, which is a, a mead made with with malt. We can't technically make one as a winery. But, you know, if you're ever looking for somebody to come out to Denmark to, to partner up with you and make a brag, I'd be happy to. I'm totally ready. <laughs> I see. So a meadery is actually under the category of wine. We can choose between the two. Okay. But oh, um, okay. we're kind of in between. But some of the meaderies in the country choose to become breweries because they want to make braggots. Um, in New Hampshire, it's a heck of a lot more difficult for us to make a quote-unquote beer with no malt or hops. So we chose to go a winery route, which is, you know, a lot easier for us in the state of New Hampshire. But in New York City, for example, needs considered beer, and that's how it's sold. Okay. Michael, uh, are you using any, like, New Hampshire ingredients, like New Hampshire honey? I mean, you're using yeah. New Hampshire water, of course. Yeah, we use an awful lot of New Hampshire water. Um, all the cider we use comes from New Hampshire. Um, we use True Source certified honey. So you'd think I could use honey from New Hampshire, but last year... We used over 37,000 pounds. We're expecting to go through close to 60,000 pounds this year. That's more honey than the state of New Hampshire produces. So we, we buy it through um, McClure's, which is um, the largest honey supplier in New Hampshire. They're owned by Pennsylvania Dutch Gold, which is the largest honey supplier on the eastern seaboard. And every batch of honey we have is trackable. We can track it back to the beehives it comes from. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of bees. To make yeah, all that honey. they're working hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, Michael, yeah. t- tell us your website because you know we, we met last month and you know you had a great story. And I know you could talk for hours. What's most impress- impressive to me is how you took something that most people think of as a an early homebrew project, and you've turned it really the first person I've known who has like a national distribution on mead. I mean, is there anyone else distributing mead across the country like you are? Oh yeah. Yeah, there's a couple. Ooh. you got um, Bee Nectar. Uh, you've got uh, Maine Mead Works. Redstone. Redstone out of Boulder, yeah. Colorado is the one that we tend to serve at the uh, Blind Tiger. I was going to ask you, do you only package it in 750 milliliters? Uh, most of our packaging is 375 milliliter bottles. Uh, 375, yeah. Mm. So, okay. Just because, you know, we, we pour it as a glass of wine, as, as wine. And so we tend to buy a little bit bigger bottles from Redstone, but I'm curious just because this would be really nice to have. I think I could turn a lot of people onto mead with your mead. Yeah, I was at uh, Blind Tiger the last time I was in town. Boy, what a great bar that was. Um, yeah, we a recommend Here's a three ounce tiger. pour do instead of uh, four ounce pours. Do we do actually it? have glassware. Okay. It's just, you know, our tagline is romance by the glass because, you know, 
I was going after women as my target customers, oh, sure. and 80% of my customers are female, and they read the names of my needs, and they get pretty excited and say, okay, I can see butt drinking this stuff. Cool. And, you know, we position the bottle as romantic enough to share. If we were selling it in 750s, people would be falling down pretty close to Juwan. Michael, right. what's your most popular mead title or flavor? Yeah, Desire's our bestseller. That's um, the one you tried with the black currant, blueberry, and black cherry. Kurt's apple pies, our second bestseller. Awesome. Great, and then uh, what? Are, oh. But Yep, Yep, he has a question. I right? just want to know: Do you do draft meets also? Because I know being you know, that was my question too, Yep. I stole it. Good one. Yeah, I know we're working I'd, real hard to get to draft meets. We're about to um, sign a lease agreement to increase our footprint by a factor of five. When we have twenty thousand square feet of production space, I'm going to be working nonstop to get a draft line system up and running. Awesome. Wow. So when you're actually the last, we're going to take a break in a minute, but. The, the last question is, when, when you're making mead and you're growing production, is it like making beer or is it, is it like making, you know, soup or tea? I mean, what's, what's, what's akin to it when, you, when you're doing the scale of production you're, you're aiming towards? Yeah, that's a great question. So we never pasteurize the honey. The honey comes in raw. Uh, we only warm it up to about 80 degrees so that we can lower the viscosity to pump it into a mixing tank. So once it goes into a mixing tank, we add um, cool water. We blend the honey and water together, usually 25% honey, 75% water. If we're adding juice or fruit, that would go in at that point. And then uh, it ferments at 62 degrees uh, like a beer or a wine would. So we don't have to brew, you know, heat the water up. There's no heating involved. And uh, it's it's very straightforward. It takes about three months from start to finish. So it's a, a fairly long fermentation process, but that's what gets us really nice high alcohol level without that high fusel notes that you typically might find. All right. Well, Michael, stay, stay on the line with us. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a Perfect. few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to This Body by Pamela Royal on the heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions. I'll do it again. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. What a show we have tonight. Jen Swerman, Blind Tiger, Roger, our, our favorite beekeeper, Yeppe nice from Evil here. Twin, and Michael from Moonlight Metering from New Hampshire is on the line, too. You know, I want to say something that's great. Uh, we have an awesome sponsor, greatbrewers.com, and recently they've expanded, so it seems like their, their footprint, greatbrewers.com, is from Boston, you know, Hudson Valley, I don't know, California, Florida. Um, it, it's really one of the, the top companies that's dis- distributing uh, craft beer uh, in the country. And many of the brands that, that we talk about are, are available through them. And, in fact, it was so great that um, Yepe brought the Jolly Pumpkin because it's one of, like, the most misunderstood uh, 
a beer is in the craft beer portfolio, but I love it. You know, to me, it's like I if don't I see, think that's true anymore. Then that's awesome. No, I think that <laughs> people have, come a long people way. have uh, they're clamoring for sours. They've done their homework. You know, even people in New York. I mean, they're getting into it with such momentum that they know. Although, of course, it's confusing when you have them on a draft list and. The other big trend out there is pumpkin beer. Pumpkin beer. So I don't, you know, I, so I, don't think they, I don't think that they knew the confusion that they would cause when they called themselves Jolly Pumpkin. The, but it is something where when I, I sense when somebody orders a beer and they're ordering it because they see the word pumpkin and they're excited. We have pumpkin spice. And I often, even with people who know exactly what they're, they're ordering and more and more people do, I just confirm now you know that, that that beer is kind of sour. That's not a pumpkin beer, and some t- and people are very grateful if I've saved them from that mistake. But yeah, and you know they actually they made the first pumpkin beer a couple of years ago, Jolly Pumpkin. Just they swore that they would never make a pumpkin beer, but then they actually made it because. Yeah, la, la but it still was more. Yeah. It was more Jolly Pumpkin than pumpkin. It is definitely, and it's actually the only pumpkin beer I really like because it doesn't taste like pumpkins. It's <laughs> kind of weird that have a, we have a brewery called Jolly Pumpkin, and they make a pumpkin beer that doesn't taste like pumpkin. Well, the thing is, so, so when, it's, when it's pumpkin beer, so it's a joke. Let's yeah. talk about making beer. So you you can put in pumpkin as what part of the mash. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never done it. I would never do it. I am not a big he fan of pumpkin. He just said pumpkins. he hates it. So, <laughs> but yeah, you can do it in the mash. You can probably, I don't know. But we'll separate it because putting pumpkin in doesn't mean it tastes. When, pe- when people think of pumpkin beers, they think of pumpkin spices. Like pumpkin is you know, a squash. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. Pretty it's not neutral. the flavors of pumpkin pie. You know, yeah, some just plain pumpkin. So I think know, that when people say they're making a pumpkin beer, they're really making a pumpkin pie. Spice beer. beer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or spice. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. probably most the problem. of the time, and sometimes. Yeah. Pulling it off uh, with a little more nuance than other times. Sometimes it's a big glass of, you feel like they just shook pumpkin spice right into it. And I, I like those beers when they're executed well. I don't, I don't hate them. Um, but I do know that like a lot of people start calling these days in the um, actually late summer. They'll start calling asking if we have, we have pumpkin beer yet. Um, so they're super popular. And so a lot of people put blinders on. But more and more people out in the market know exactly what Jolly Pumpkin is about because sour beers are also very, very uh, beloved and and popular. So we, we need to taste that beer now. We should. Yeah, let's yeah. open it. Yeah. I can open it. All right, Michael, you're still on the line, right? Yes, sir. All right, Michael. So, Michael, tell us about the time when you came down to New York last <laughs> month. You went to the, the Homebrew Alley. Yeah, the, we're at Homebrew Alley, uh, uh, basically um, helping to judge the competition. We're looking to uh, promote our product. And uh, we did a pouring... Over at Top of Hops, uh, on I think it's in Manhattan, on Friday night during a blizzard, and actually sold out three cases of product. Yeah, uh, Top Hops, right with Ted? Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, Top Hops, right. a great bottle shop in Lower East Side. Yep. All right. And we'll be downtown uh, on Thursday night again this week. Uh, nothing currently planned, but we're looking to see if we can promote or get in somewhere and actually maybe come back and visit you, Jimmy. That's great to have you back. Um, so, so Roger, uh, you know, you're a beekeeper. We're, we're going to switch this from mead to the, the roots of mead, which is beekeeping and honey. Honey, right. Um, tell us how you got started because you're a pretty cool guy. Where are you located, too? Yeah, I have uh, my beehives in the South Bronx in a community garden there, Genesis Park Community Garden. Uh, I've been keeping bees there since 1999. And uh, the as kind of part of the... The tradition of beekeeping, my teacher was a Catholic priest who was used to be a Trappist monk and was a beekeeper at the Abbey. 
in Massachusetts. And so um, he taught me everything that, uh, well, he taught me a lot, you know. Uh, I was his apprentice, and he was the bee master. So uh, I've been uh, doing that uh, uh, for, uh, um, well, what is it, 12, 13 years now? 14 years, and it's uh, it's been remarkably successful. The bees love it there. It's I like love bee the idea paradise. of a community garden with its with a beekeeper. Yeah, so well, that's becoming more and more common now that beekeeping is legal in uh, New York City. It's uh, like Mississippi. You know, I had the bees uh, there for many years when it was illegal, and I didn't even know it was illegal. You know, so uh, but finally they legalized it, and now everybody's gotten into beekeeping. Uh, so our uh, friends at JustFood.org, uh, a few years ago, they started having honey swaps right. and honey tastings of uh, honey made from New York City bees, which was, according to a, a health department code, technically illegal. And they, they, raged, they ran a campaign, and uh, the code was changed. And, and it was huge. And now there's a great uh, New York City uh, honey scene of, of you know, local people making bee, bees and all that stuff. Oh, that's, that's I'm rambling, sure. but the whole point is that from this, you can make mead. And you made an awesome mead. So tell us how you made your mead. Because uh, it's really good. It, 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 the nose is like sake. It's very dry. It's one year slightly old. Slightly carbonated. And um, uh, full disclosure, this was not made with South Bronx honey because, uh, you know, my production level is not uh, large enough to do uh, uh, mead making with it since uh, the, demand is, yeah. Yeah, the demand is Ooh. very strong uh, for, uh, uh, for uh, uh, regular honey in in. That comes from the Bronx. Uh, so uh, the honey I used was from upstate New York, from Tremblay, uh, who has a, um, a, a sales operation in uh, Union Square. And uh, so that's how I... Uh, right now we're together. tasting Roger's honey. Roger, this is awesome honey, man. Now, this is spring honey. This spring is, honey. This okay. is uh, harvested right at mean? the very okay. beginning of June. Well, I do small batch... Seasonal? Uh, Small batch uh, harvesting of honey. So uh, during the honey season, which runs from late May, uh, if you're lucky, uh, June, up until September and the beginning of October, um, I will harvest it as it's ready. And if I can get 60 pounds of honey, 50 pounds or so uh, from the bees, uh, I will take it immediately. So what I get here is uh, kind of boutique honey. Uh, this one that you're tasting now is, uh, 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 in, uh, I harvested it in June, and uh, it has the distinct flavor of um, linden. Uh, and there are many uh, Germans who have uh, come to, uh, to taste this honey and have said, yes, that's exactly, that's linden honey. And it comes from the street trees, the basswood, well, American basswood say. trees that line the streets So there. it must have to do, there is a correlation, I'm sure, between what happens to be blooming in that particular month and that like early summer or late spring through the summer. Correct. The fall. So Is it follows right? the every, bloom season. Every type right. of flower makes a difference for what the honey's going to taste like. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's so what are the bees eating and then the honey's going to reflect that. That's at that time. I've right. never so Michael, through, when, when you're doing your, you know, your, your production, I mean, do you have to, how do you figure out what your honey's going to taste like? Do you, do you yeah, kind of know? Yeah, or, yeah. Everything changes. So water can change based on mineral content. The, um, the honey changes based on time of year it's harvested, where it's harvested from. So I have to be able to taste and adjust my formulas based on that sensory analysis that I do. So what about so, blending? Do you blend to make it consistent? 
sometimes um, when our apple cider, we get apple cider in September, for example, and apple cider in December, you know, the variety of apples change and the tartness can change quite a bit. So we're trying to work towards keeping a very consistent flavor, but it's it's very craft-oriented, which is, you know, you may see some variants from batch to batch. All right. Michael, listen, thanks for calling in. Moonlight Meadery in New Hampshire. Michael, what's your website? www.moonlightmeadery.com. And, and thank you for doing what you do, and we'll definitely have you on again. A quick shout-out. Uh, so, Yepe from Evil Twin, you've consulted on a really cool new uh, beer bar in, in Greenpoint in Brooklyn. What's it called? It's called Trust. It's spelled Torst, but it's pronounced Trust. Trust. It actually means Torst. Torst in Danish. Uh, we opened uh, a little over a week ago, actually. So, yeah. Congratulations on that. you got that. a great team. you got a guy from DBGB, general managing. you got a chef from Momofuko. It's kind of crazy and intense, but I was there for the opening night. It was awesome. Thanks and my favorite that. beer was uh, from the Beachwood from California. Beachwood Barbecue in California in Orange County. And the IPA. It's, it was, uh, it's a small brew pub, and he's a good friend of ours, and uh, he... You know, we asked him to send out some beers in the day. Well, we didn't get to talk too much about it, but we wanted to. Well, that's one reason you came on the show tonight. Wanted to give a shout out. But quickly, Thanks tell us that. you have a one thing you have that's probably unique in New York is you have a very special uh, draft system. Yeah, I mean, we have. A, yeah, we have. A dra- we have twenty one lines, which is not that unique, but the the whole setup is very unique. Uh, you know, the draft guy who installed it, Anton, said it was by far the most complex draft system he ever installed. We have something called the uh, the flux capacitor. Where you can blend uh, CO2, CO2 um, and nitrogen on each on each line, so you can do like 80, 80 20 percent or fifty fifty. So you can pretty much put all beers Customize perfect. It. Yeah, and then we also do beers different temperatures and everything. So, it's so how, how many walk-ins do you have for different temperatures? We have two walk-ins, but we have two glycol also, so we can like split them up. So we can, we should be able to do four different temperatures. Right now we only do two because we have to tune it all in, uh, but we should be able to do four different and. You know, the whole gas plant just makes it really, oh, great. really they, good. They just opened, and it's definitely worth going to in Greenpoint Tours. And what's the address in Brooklyn? Uh, 615 Manhattan Avenue, right by Nassau and Manhattan. Awesome. And we have one more special calling guest. Yes, today or yesterday, Mississippi passed a law. The homebrew, homebrewing is legal in Mississippi. We have a special guest now. One last caller. Uh, hi there. Tell us who you are. Uh, I'm Gary Glass, director of the American Home Brewers Association. And are you psyched about Mississippi? I am. I am. I've been working on this for, for several years now, so it's really exciting to, to see uh, Mississippi finally legalize homebrewing. Great. Do, do you want to tell us anything about it, background or anything? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Mississippi is, well, we're, with this, when this law goes into effect, uh, it, it'll actually go into effect July 1st, 2013. Uh, they will be the 49th state to legalize homebrewing. Um, so it's a it's a big deal, and the the one remaining state would be Alabama, and they also have legislation currently working its way through that would legalize homebrewing. So we we might see this year the first year since prohibition uh, where homebrewing is legal in all fifty states. Gary, that's great. And Gary, how can people follow you? Do you have a website? Uh, yes, uh, our website's homebrewersassociation.org. dot org. All right. Well, join us in the toast first. We're going to toast Mississippi. For uh, making homebrewing legal. School. All right, school. And also one, one more toast, and you can join in, Gary. Our good friend and former co-host, Ray Dieter, he died uh, in 2011. And today's his birthday. So, uh, cheers to cheers Ray. Cheers to Ray cheers. Dieter, our, our good friend. And at that, we're going we're gonna to sign out. Uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. 
Beer Sessions Radio is supported by the Good Beer Seal, goodbeerseal.com, an association of 41 New York City small independently owned beer bars. Thanks to uh, Jen, Yepe, Roger, and Michael, and now Gary, and also Craig from uh, Raise Up Your Pint for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee, Brie O'Connor, and our engineer, Joe Galarraga, back from South by Southwest. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.